Hello, listeners. We're back. It's Rose. And I'm Gabe. We apologize for not uploading for about a month. Um, a bunch of insane things happened in my personal life that I was just not in a good place. I didn't really have time to do anything. Um, I lost my passport. It was a whole thing. That sounds unfortunate. Yeah, I um, I had to go to Puerto Rico to get it fixed. It was a whole mess. Um, do, do you at least go to the after beach? After that, I lost my voice, so I couldn't record the podcast, obviously. And then after that, I went on vacation to Israel, so I obviously couldn't record the podcast there either because I didn't really have privacy because I was in a hotel. And um, also, Israel went on general strike while we were there over the judicial reform bill. It, I've had a weird month, listener. Did he go to any of the protests, at least? Nah, I don't think they really want foreigners there. Oh, uh, I don't... Do, would they really... I feel like they wouldn't care, honestly, if a foreigner went yeah, to the protest. Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. I didn't go to any. Because uh, okay. I didn't know where they were. Like, I would just sort of randomly see them. But, like, I don't speak Hebrew. So what what use would I be? Yeah, but plenty of people in Israel <laughs> speak English. Yeah, that's true. And plus, Are you trying to shame numbers, me so. for not going to the protests in Israel? And plus, adding to the numbers, right? Yeah, all right, fine. Next time I'm in Israel and there's protests, I'll go. Yeah. Yeah, next time I'm there on official Mossad business. It's impressive that these protests are still going on. Yeah, well, I mean, are they still going on? I'm not, I mean, I think so. I think Netanyahu's uh, judicial form was uh, stalled. Yeah, basically what they said is they said they're going to try to come up with a consensus and then try to do it again after Passover, which is in like two three weeks i want to say passover ends on like the 18th or the 19th what is the uh what is the judicial reform bill does it basically basically just make it harder for politicians to get indicted no it gives the ruling coalition uh more power over the who gets over judicial appointments oh that would be very convenient for someone like Netanyahu who's just perpetually about to go to jail yeah um when you factor in that he's um currently has an ongoing corruption case um wanting to pick who the justices are seems very convenient for him yeah i'm sure it's just a coincidence though right oh i'm sure i'm sure he there's, would never do there's nothing like going on there uh, yeah and um the the midterm compromise they worked out was they gave itamar ben gavir of otsma yehudit uh, they basically just gave him his own private militia. So that seems bad. Wait, how is that a compromise? I'm not, because like he wanted the judicial reform bill like gone through immediately. Uh, okay, and also, actually, no, we'll... they gave it to him earlier. So this was just like a thing he got. They basically created a new ministerial position for Ben Gavir and then created like a National Guard type thing that's subordinate to him. So they've basically given a fascist his own private militia. Which uh, seems like it will end badly. Like, it's subordinate to someone in his position and it happens to be him or him specifically? Well, it's subordinate to the person in his position, which is currently him. No, I know, but I was I didn't know if it was like be, like if it was subordinate to the position itself or like if it was his person like personal security force. No, it's subordinate to the position. Ah, uh, okay, okay. But he's basically what? Head of like minister of police or something? Minister of National Security, I think it's called. Uh, doesn't that also extend to uh, police operations in the West Bank? Yes, yes, it does. Oh, I'm sure he's. I'm sure he's n not doing anything wrong there. Yeah, no, I mean, famously, nothing. Israel famously doesn't do anything bad in the West Bank. So, and Itamar Ben Gavir famously did not uh, praise Baruch Goldstein. So, did he really? Jesus Christ! No, I think no. He had a photo of but he had a photo of of uh, Baruch Goldstein. I think either in his office or his uh, house for a while. Jesus Christ. Yeah, no. Man, Israel is in a grim state right now. For yeah, our sir, listeners who don't know, um, Baruch Goldstein was a, um Israeli uh, terrorist who shot up the Muslim side of the, cave, of the Cave of the Patriarchs in Hebron. And then got beaten to death by a mob. Yes. Well, I mean, to be fair, he was carrying out a mass shooting. You can't really yeah. blame the mob for that one. Yeah, no, usually I'm against mob violence, but in this case, it's like, yeah, you kind of deserved it. That's kind of self-defense. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like yeah, you're I, shooting people that's what I was and saying. Like 20 that, people rush you. It's kind of your fault. That's us saying. Like, in that case, he deserved it. Yeah. <laughs> Podcast yeah. is taking the bold position of mass shootings are bad. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Larry so, McDonald. Larry McDonald. Um, one fun thing I wanted to mention 
is um, remember Laetrile, the drug from last time? It's okay if you don't listen or just re-listen to part one and it'll be explained. Uh, basically, it was uh, this drug from apricot pits or something that uh, Larry McDonald thought cured cancer but didn't. And um, I found out Liberty Lobby, which was this like which was this like anti-Semitic right-wing publication run by this guy, Willis Carto, who was friends with Jim Trafficant. Uh, their magazine, The Spotlight, also sold Laetrile, just to give you an idea of how prevalent it was within sort of the far-right circle of the 70s and 80s. Every time I'm worried that like these far-right people are going to take power and make all their lives miserable, I'm weirdly comforted by their own incompetence and just like, because let's be honest, this is what they spend a large amount of their time doing. Yeah, trying to like come up with fake medicine. Yeah, no, they love fake medicine. <laughs> no, I'm just pushing. If you're like a far right guy, there is no better grift than like thinking you've invented a new kind of a new way to cure cancer by like doing palm readings or something. That's, that's like their like favorite specific, thing in the world. But that's like a specific type of right wing. That's more of like a QAnon new age type of thing. But there's also like. I guess no, like that's more these like- guys. These guys were like, like Willis Carto was like pretty much a neo-Nazi and he was like doing that shit too. Okay. These guys gave me more of an ivermectin vibe than like a Palm. Oh yeah. Vibe. No, Larry, Larry McDonald is sort of the bridge between the two though. Mm, Cause don't okay. forget he was a John Birch guy. Yeah. Yeah. All but right, those guys anyways. also seem more like ivermectin guys than like Palm reading guys. Yeah. Speaking of Larry McDonald. Picking up where we left off, the 96th Congress from 1979 to 1980, he really continues to produce this fountain of insane bills and resolutions, such as one barring anyone on strike from receiving food stamps or other benefits. I'm surprised that's not a law in some states already. It might be a law in some states. I didn't look, but it's not a law federally, much to Larry McDonald's chagrin. And much to my relief. Yeah. Gabe's actually a hardcore anti-union guy. I don't know. I don't think I give that five, do I? No, Gibbs. Uh, Gibbs' last name is actually Pinkerton. No, it's it's not. <laughs> Your name is Gabriel Pinkerton. I don't like. That's not a terrible name. There's worse. Yeah, I've been called I, far worse. So, like, if that's like the worst <laughs> you can come up with, that's yeah. like I'll take. I'll consider to double you and just you know settle Speaking for of that. Pinkertons. Uh, Larry McDonald wanted to uh, repeal the OSHA Act of 1970. Which uh, what did that do? Uh, it established the Occupational Safety Health Administration, something like that. Occupational Safety Hazard Administration, whatever OSHA stands for. I don't know. Those guys are always getting in the way, though. Yeah. All, look, all they do is say you have to have guardrails in your mine shafts and things like that. It's bullshit, listener. I, I should will... be allowed to run a factory with zero safety regulations. Sorry. Sorry. My, um, Sorry, listener. My inner libertarian took over there for a minute. Larry McDonald uh, probably went to the Empire State Building and was like, oh my god, there's guardrails. Who would do this? Yeah, he was like, America. He, he was the like, observ- the West has fallen. He went, to the observatory deck of the, uh, he went to the observatory deck of the Empire State Building and was like, oh my god, a, a government-mandated fence. Yeah. Oh, also, one other note, listener. If we sound a little weird, it's because we're recording on Zoom. Zencaster changed their free plan we're in the process of applying for the new one that will allow us to record on Zencaster again. But for now, we're going to be on Zoom. So we apologize. But hopefully it'll be fixed next week. I just had to mention that. Okay. Yeah, no, that's yeah. fine. Anyways, uh, Larry McDonald introduced a bill to bar women from military academy. Uh, Most of because, these- of course. How many of these military academies let in women at this point anyway, though? I have no idea. At least a few, though. Okay. Either way, this bill just seems, in addition to just being regressive, also just unnecessary. Oh, entirely. Uh, He constantly was trying to increase the national speed limit to 65. He introduced a bill to do that like four or five times over the course of his career. Uh, It never went anywhere because I guess it's just too niche an issue, but he was like a big believer in this. Well, this is also during the 1970s where gas caught, where no one had gas ever. Yeah. And you had to wait like an hour and a half to like at, at the gas station. Oh no, I have to wait. No, I'm kidding. It was actually yeah. quite bad. But um, yeah, no. So that was that was his vibe for the moment. Um, he introduced a bill to audit U.S. gold reserves because, like all John Birch Society guys, he was obsessed with the fucking gold standard. 
he wanted to use the U.S. Army to fight drug trafficking, which is pretty ironic considering his friends at the John Birch Society were doing drug trafficking. Uh, and in case you're wondering what his thoughts were on uh, my community, the LGBTs, he repeatedly introduced a resolution saying that homosexuals should never receive legal protected status. Oh. Uh, what does that mean? Like they should like they shouldn't be covered under hate crime legislation and such? Hate crime legislation, anti-discrimination protections, stuff like that. Uh, okay. When you said your community first, like I thought you were gonna say Jews, because you're also Jewish, which brings up which makes me think, well, which makes me want to ask. What were his opinions on Jews? Um, he didn't personally say like super anti-Semitic things. He was just close friends with people who said a lot of anti-Semitic things and never rebuked them. Yeah, it's kind of a lot of uh, right-wing <laughs> so, guys. I you feel know. Like, in, like, a, like a lot of right-wing guys after World War II or anti-Semitism for obvious reasons kind of became, I don't want to say outdated, but slightly less fashionable. A lot of them just kind of did that. Yeah, exactly. The more like public faces of the movement just kind of didn't say that stuff and just didn't denounce it. Yeah, they just kind of let they they let their friends do it. And if you ask them, like they'd probably be like, "No, I don't hate Jews," but like they stayed friends with people who did. Yeah. So in 1979, Larry McDonald, uh, remember Larry McDonald's illegal domestic surveillance operation, where the FBI would just like drop off files at his office. Yeah. Yeah, and they they would also pick up dossiers his people made of like leftist subversives or whatever. Uh, in 1979, he established a formal organization to do his illegal domestic surveillance program. Uh, it was called Western Gold Foundation, and it was funded by John Reese, who I mentioned earlier, and who will probably be an episode topic in the future. Freelance undercover cop <laughs> is the best way to describe him. How do you spell Reese? R-E-E-S-E? R-E-E-S. Oh, okay. I was thinking of someone else. Uh, never mind. John K. Singlaub of the World Anti-Communist League, who will also be an episode of this podcast in the future, because I think he really bridges the gap between the sort of establishment right and the crank right. Yeah. Um, Roy Cohn was also a board member, because there's no weird right-wing thing in mid-century America that doesn't involve Roy Cohn. You know Roy Cohn was gay? I did know that, yes. That's like a very famous thing. But also extremely homophobic in public. Oh, yeah, obviously. Roy Cohn will probably be an episode topic at some point. Really? Yeah, probably. Several congressmen were on this board, as well as Roger Milliken, a funder of many right-wing causes. Their biggest financial backer, however, was Nelson Bunker Hunt, uh, an, a literal oil billionaire, so actual oil baron, who was a major funder of the John Birch Society. Uh, Hunt was also once fined $10 million for manipulating the civil over market, but that's kind of, an, uh, kind of a digression. Uh, the Western Goals Foundation brought a, bought a townhouse in Alexandria, Virginia, right near D.C., and set up shop there. They maintained this massive library and would regularly circulate their own compiled newsletters and dossiers about groups they considered subversive or terrorist in nature, as well as the, uh, you know, the general threat of international communism. Is the library still? Go ahead. Is the library still there? No, we'll get into oh. what happened to it. Oh, okay, because I was gonna say, like, I wonder if somebody's like done re like done research there to like write a book or something. Yeah, to write your book on the evils of Greenpeace or whatever. No, that is basically what it was, though. This oh. was not like an actual research library, Gabe. This was like you know, Gers, uh, the the Weather Underground are gonna kill the president. No, but those are still useful sources to get into, like, the mindset of, like, people with a certain political uh, belief system and to kind yeah, of find yeah. out, like, and to, if you want to, like, if you want to write about a movement, you have to look at the sources they published. True, true. Even if they're crank sources. Yeah. Like, uh, their biggest focus right was now. on maintaining a database of anyone they felt was communist aligned in the U.S. John Reese was a major source of information uh, for this database because he was ex-FBI and ex-police undercover informant and used his connections to the police and FBI to get information for the database. So was this, you could call this like a, a list then? It was a list, but also like dossiers. Like there would be a dossier on this group or this huh. individual. Let's see, a list of people with left-wing sympathies Purported to be communist. Has that ever happened before? No, never. That's a completely new phenomenon in American history. 
I thought I could have sworn I heard of it, but I'm going crazy, right? Yeah. Well, the thing is, Larry McDonald was directly inspired by the House Un-American Activities Committee to the point where he hired, including Sheila Reese, John Reese's wife. Uh, he hired her to be his like chief researcher when she was literally on staff of the House Un-American Activities Committee. Oh. So Western Goals Foundation was essentially a private version of the House Un-American Activities Committee, like their investigation wing. Oh. That's the best way to understand it to me. Um, the way they would launder this information to make it seem more legit is kind of interesting. I'll explain it. Essentially, John Reese or someone else would get information, usually from a local police force or the FBI. The stuff these groups would pass on to John Reese and associates would be the stuff they believed but couldn't prove. Or alternatively, stuff they'd gotten through illegal spying and on groups and people they believed were radicals. So basically, this was stuff that they couldn't actually use in real police or FBI work. Because it wasn't true. It was either not true or they thought it illegally. <laughs> and also, it wouldn't shock me if some of it was just made up entirely by disgruntled local cops who were just mad about, like, you know, the local whatever group. Or, like, getting fired or something, or, like, yeah. passed up for that promotion. Yeah, also, I will say, the line between John and Sheila Reese and their associates and the literal FBI and local police forces uh, ranges from paper thin to simply non-existent. Uh, uh, sometimes Western Gold Foundation-affiliated groups and people would just do their own freelance illegal surveillance. Uh, they were such fascists. That they just wanted to do police state activity for free, volunteer work. Just because they liked it. Yeah, just because they were true believers in, Although, like, you know, stopping communism. Or that's whatever. kind of what this whole organization organization has been doing. Yeah, basically. Um, then John Reese, through the Western Goals Foundation, would print it in a newsletter. And then he'd pass it to Larry McDonald, who would enter it into the congressional record, uh, which did two things. First, it gave it more legitimacy because suddenly it's in the congressional record. And secondly, it protected them from libel lawsuits because any material in the congressional record is protected from libel. And our uh, friend Jim Trafficant would make very good use of that. Our friend Jim Trafficant across the pond, our friend Oliver J. Flanagan. Uh, if we ever covered Jacob Thorkelson, he did that a lot. Oh, Jacob Thorkelson, that guy. Yeah, the uh, pro-Nazi congressman from Montana. Yeah. I don't think um, he's going to be an episode topic. He'll probably come up, though, at some point. Yeah, he probably will. And we then, talk about other uh, Nazi I'm just going to start saying WGF, by the way, to refer to the Western Goals Foundation. Okay. Uh, so that's Larry McDonald's illegal private surveillance group. Uh, the WGF, in public releases, they would cite Larry McDonald's entries into the congressional record. Oh, so. Yeah. How lovely. One thing the research for this series has really emphasized for me that I'd like to impart to the listener is that there is not nearly as clear a divide between the literal ruling powers and far right wing cranks as you would think. As an example, while William Casey was CIA director, he recommended a report from the WGF about Marxism to an associate. The literal CIA director is about as ruling powers as it gets. Yeah, I feel that's also just part of the... Uh... One of, that's, I'm not saying, oh, this isn't bad and you shouldn't worry, but I think that's part, one of the things that's almost inevitable with a big bureaucracy, because it's, even at first, no matter how big the police state is, like, just by expanding the bureaucracy so much, there's just more ter territory to cover, which means some people are just going to slip through the cracks, if that makes sense. I don't think they did slip through the cracks, though. I think they were able to rise in the ranks because they were like this. It was probably a combination. Yeah, like, I think William Casey was able to become CIA director because he was the right kind of paranoid anti-communist. Yeah, exactly. You gotta be exactly a... the same. Like, I don't think it was because he was stupid enough to believe WGF stuff. I think it's because he had the right personality to be fooled by WGF stuff. And that is also the right personality you need to become CIA director, if that makes sense. I, I guess, yeah. Although yeah. you have to be, a, I guess, but like, if you want to be CIA director, you also want to be more grounded. You'd think, but clearly not. <laughs> um, a lot of people, some people just end up in positions of power by accident, don't forget. William Casey did not end up in positions of power by accident. If we ever do a William Casey episode, you'll see what I mean. Yeah. I'm not saying uh, he didn't rise for the ranks, but a lot of this is also just luck. Mm, yes and no. 
we'll we'll go into it later. Um, another example of their deep police connections was a guy named Jay Paul, which once That's again, listener, name. don't trust men with two first names. Just I like don't that do name it. personally. It huh? I like that name personally. It sounds like a rapper. Jay Paul. Fun fact, uh, Jay Paul, before being a police officer, was actually a vlogger. <laughs> Yo, what's up? It's your boy, Jay Paul. <laughs> I can't really do Jake Paul. He doesn't really have a distinctive voice. I I think I've probably heard Jake Paul talk a grand total of two times, maybe three. Yeah, truly I, dark days. I heard more people talk about Jake Paul than I have heard Jake Paul himself talk. Yeah, we should see if we can get Jake Paul on the podcast. I don't want Jake Paul on the podcast. I don't think he'd be interested. No, also. he wouldn't. Uh, okay, so Jay Paul, not Jake Paul, was a cop involved in the LAPD intelligence unit. Uh, and in January of 1983, the LA Times discovered he was storing, you want to guess how many pages of LAPD materials this dude had in a garage? Like authorized or just unauthorized? Unauthorized. Uh, 18,000. Way higher. Okay, uh, yeah, it's, let's see, 150,000. Higher. 985,000. Lower. 675,000. Close enough. 500,000 pages of LAPD surveillance materials and intelligence briefings in a garage. His garage is just like a storage unit. Um, It was held in, I think it was like a garage in his ex-wife's house or something. Uh, do you think she knew about it? Yeah. It would be funny if she didn't. That would be funny. Yeah. Uh, basically, um, the LAPD intelligence unit historically did a lot of, uh, let's say, sleazy intelligence work. Uh, you know, illegal surveillance, illegal intimidation and interrogation techniques, all that stuff uh, to attack civil rights organizations and other perceived radicals. Um, and in 1975, there was a law that uh, just that said you can't do this anymore. The L.A. City Council passed it. And these files were supposed to be destroyed. But uh, J. Paul just saved them. Uh, and I guess just no one double checked. Putting them in your house seems, feels like an exceptionally risky idea, though. Well, he stored it in his ex-wife's house. But yeah. Either way, though, just putting it in a private residence seems like a bad idea. Well, yes, because he was doing illegal shit with it. Uh, he also had a $100,000, again, in 1983 money, computer system in his wife's office connected to the Western Goals Foundation office in Virginia. Uh, his wife also received 30000 a year from the WGF. And in return for that money, Jay Paul was entering his illegally held LAPD files into their database as well as information from a private terrorism tracking database from the Rand Corporation, which is like a think tank group for the for like U.S. NATSEC guys uh, that he had access to because he was a veteran police officer. Uh, so what does he have to do with Larry McDonald, though? Because the Western Goals Foundation was Larry McDonald's organization. Oh, right. Yeah. It's, yeah. There's, there's a lot going on here. Yeah, there is. This is a complicated episode. Yeah. Um, when he was caught, when Jay Paul was caught, he said that the people above him at the LAPD knew what he was doing and were fine with it. Considering he once attended a board meeting of the WGF in person, that seems likely. It was also discovered that another member of Paul's unit was doing the exact same thing, illegally storing documents that were supposed to be restored. Uh, the LAPD investigated the matter, and shockingly, the LAPD concluded that the LAPD was innocent. Yeah, the... Uh the partner who was actually doing the exact same th thing, uh, fun fact, his name was actually Logan. <laughs> yes, it was Jay Paul and Logan Paul. <laughs> yeah. Um, they hit Paul with one count of misconduct and nothing else. And he got reinstated anyways. He continued to work for the LAPD until he retired in 1995. The L.A. County D.A. started a criminal grand jury probe into him back in the 80s, and charges were never filed. Weird, isn't it, how that happens? Another thing, when the scandal did go public, w Western Goals Foundation's employees and associates grabbed the files and just took them back to WGF headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. The LAPD tried to get them to release it, but the WGF just never did. And they didn't cooperate with any federal authorities to try to get them back? No. 
you'd think the police would be able would want to get their own files back, especially considering those files were supposed to be destroyed in 1975. But I guess it just wasn't a priority, huh? I guess so. My personal take on that is that they didn't cooperate with federal with the federal government because the federal government was cooperating with the Western Goals Foundation. So they were fine with the Western Goals Foundation having this illegal surveillance material. <sighs> There's this is the kind of thing I don't know how to respond to other than just with a sigh and just, yeah, just an okay. Blatantly the government being evil. Um, I haven't really gotten into parapolitical matters much on this podcast, but I think that framework is crucial for understanding what the Western Goals Foundation was doing here. They were acting as a wing of the American government's law enforcement activities. The government wanted to spy on these groups who were publicly aligned against U.S. politics, really committed crimes. So it would be violating civil rights to actually spy on them. So John Reese, the Western Goals Foundation, led by Larry McDonald, did it for them. They were an unofficial private intelligence contractor for the U.S. government doing intelligence gathering on groups that hadn't really done anything wrong except speak out against U.S. policy at home and abroad. Whether this was established by the U.S. government itself as some kind of pot or not is kind of irrelevant. This is a function that the Western Goals Foundation served. And I think it's important to keep that in mind. Because it also... To more to because as it pertains to our uh, topic of our topic of interest, uh, Larry McDonald, it's also just extremely indicative of his mindset and his paranoia. Yes, but it's indicative that that mindset literally permeated the highest levels of the federal government. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, as another example of that, in the mid-80s, two former employees said their publications went out to the DEA, FBI, CIA, ATF, and local police departments. It sounds like a conspiracy theory to say that all of those groups were literally taking information dossiers from a bunch of quasi-fascist lunatics who used to work for HUAC. But no, that's just true. You can find that in like mainstream sources. Well, HUAC for a while was also a respected... Uh, like. Uh respected uh, subcommittee, so it makes yeah, sense Yeah, but we're that... in the 80s now. <laughs> like, you'd think that all ended, but no, it just And it's still going. respected. Huh? I And I still respect it. Yeah. <laughs> Gabe still respects the House American Activities Committee. That is a joke. I do not. Yeah, it's um, it's crazy. The, the, that illegal domestic surveillance of the House American Activities Committee, it just never stopped. It just took different forms. Yeah, also, and in the 80s, the form it took was Larry McDonald and the Western Goals Foundation. Yeah, I will make a quick note about House of American Activities Committee. Uh, it was a uh, op- it was really a place where you could kind of uh, burnish your anti-communist credentials. And one man who would definitely do this was uh, a California congressman named Richard Nixon. Yes, we got to cover Nixon on the podcast at some point. Bit too well known, but he'll probably come up a, a bunch. Yeah, anyway, he'll probably so. come up. Um, As another example, in 1982, the State Department accused the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom of being a Soviet communist front organization. Uh, They were just a pacifist group. They were not like secretly Soviet aligned. Uh, That group, Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, filed a Freedom of Information Act request, and it was discovered that those State Department accusations were word for word ripped from a Western Goals Foundation report on Soviet front groups. Oh, so just plagiarizing. Okay. So um, another link between these two worlds, John K. Singlaub, the other founder of the Western Goals Foundation, was a literal major general during the Vietnam War, an early member of the CIA, and head of U.S. forces in South Korea until 1977. Uh, And after this stuff was all blew over, he was involved in Iran-Contra and a close associate of William Casey and Oliver North. Uh, He'll be covered on this podcast at some point, but I think that illustrates my point that being a far-right crank does not exclude you from the halls of power in this country in any meaningful sense, and if anything, it helps you attain it. Depends Depends who you communicate with and depends how you do it. Well, it worked for John K. Singlaub and William Casey and all those FBI, CIA, ATF, DEA agents. Yep. But being an FBI agent, that's not like necessarily. I don't think that's being that high up. Casey and Singlaub, yes, but it's a lot easier to become a police officer or a DEA agent than literal head of the CIA. That's fair. Yeah. 
another example of this pipeline would be an incident in 1982 again, when Reagan quoted a Reader's Digest piece on TV about Soviet communists infiltrating the anti-nuclear movement and used it as proof of a larger communist conspiracy. You want to guess where Reader's Digest got that article? Uh, our friend Larry McDonald. Yes, Larry McDonald via the Western Golds Foundation. I'm shocked. Yeah. So um, that's not ideal. Uh, so yet again, another person, in this case, the literal U.S. president, being this, this stupid and pilled to believe this stuff. <laughs> so now let's get weird for a second. They set up offices in Germany and Austria. And according to a former employee quoted in a Politico article, quote, a lot of the funding came from Germany, more than what came from the U.S., a lot of it was kept from us. The Germans all wore a lot of medals and had a lot of money. The German people never came to the U.S. They would fly westward goals as accountants to Germany. Something didn't feel on the up and up. The political article that quote is from also mentions that Larry McDonald once said Rudolf Hess should be nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. And I found the actual quote about Hess from McDonald via the University of Georgia, and it reads as follows, quote, even a Nazi war criminal can be a useful asset in the struggle against communism. Wasn't Rudolf Hess in jail for like 40 yes. for 30 years at this point? Yes, for um, closer to 40 Nazi. Yes, but he was a use. He was a useful asset in the struggle against communism. I mean, presumably they mean like the Eastern Front War. I don't really know. I don't, I'm not familiar with Rudolf Hess. I get, I don't know. Yeah. But regardless, that is what Rudolf Hess believed. Um, the article goes short of saying there was a definite neo-Nazi connection, uh, which, but it, there might have been, considering John K. Singlab was involved, and all these people were associated with cheap, with the John Birch Society, which loved associating with fascists. The post-World War II Nazi exile movement will definitely come up again on this podcast. Uh, we for should now, also cover uh, John, the John Birch Society at some point. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll cover a lot of John no, Birch Society. Something I, really want to, something I really want to talk about is the uh, basically the conspiracy theory that Eisenhower was a Manchurian candidate. Yes, we got to get into that. That's like the OG conspiracy theory. Even though he overthrew like three governments. Yeah. Eisenhower was a Soviet agent, Gabe. You don't understand. Wait, didn't he overthrow not like a social, not a communist government in Guatemala, I'd say more democratic socialist government. Jacobo Arbenz, yeah. Yeah, didn't he overthrow them and replace them with like a bunch of right-wing military generals and yes, end up causing a 36-year civil war? Yes. That doesn't feel very communist. No, see, that does to make you think he wasn't a Soviet agent. You don't get it? No, the John Birch Society is fascinating because you can see because people because they'll look at guys like Eisenhower who, as far as U.S. presidents go, I don't think Eisenhower was too bad. Like domestically, I'd say he was pretty good. But anyway, but you could have guys like Eisenhower who do stuff like that abroad and then say, yeah, but he also spent money on highways. So which one is more indicative of his political beliefs? Yeah, exactly. You know, you gotta look, you gotta manage the empire. Even if you want to do good stuff domestically on the foreign front, you don't get to be president unless you're willing to manage the imperial machine. Yeah, exactly. It, uh... Yeah. For now, I'll mention that the UK offshoot of the Western Goals Foundation, the Western Goals Institute, actively courted French fascist Jean Marie Le Pen and German right wing extremist Franz, oh boy, Schoenhuber? I think, uh, who was a volunteer for the SS yeah. during World War II and later what? active in post-war German politics as part of a party called the Republicans, an anti-immigration party. Wait, wait, wait. He was not only a member of the SS, but he was a volunteer? Yeah. The SS was a lot of volunteers, yeah. But, like, but that makes it even more horrifying because it's not even like, oh, he got drafted and then, like, oh, he got a promotion, so he took it. This is just him volunteering because he wanted to do it. No, because he was a fascist, yes. Holy shit. Yeah. In 1990, that group also hosted a General Franco Memorial Dinner. So that should give you a pretty good idea of their politics. I'm sure more of those have happened than we think. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, that's the thing to remember is this group was associated with shady Germans and the UK offshoot of the group was affiliated with neo-Nazis and in some cases literal Nazis. 
you can't, I can't, I couldn't definitively prove that the U.S. group was associated with neo-Nazis or with Nazis, with like German neo-Nazis. They were associated with American neo-Nazis. Um, that's just, they might have been. It's sort, it's just, a, there's enough of a connection there to make you think there was a connection, but not enough to definitively nail it down beyond a shadow of a doubt. Just enough to drive me insane. Which is all we need for this podcast, because seeing Rose go insane, I think, is funny. Yes. But all yes, right. in the 97th Congress, 1981 to 1982, Larry McDonald wanted to repeal limits on outside income that members of Congress could learn, which I'm sure had nothing to do with the shady business practices. How much money was he making a year from these business practices? It's unclear. That, it, I genuinely am not sure. Is he still pushing Larry trailers? He kind of moved on at this point. Uh, you'll see what happened to him. We're getting to that in a little bit. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, he tried to impeach federal judge Nauman Scott for issuing a school desegregation ruling, which was one of the few things he actually did or attempted to do on like the pro-segregation platform he was elected on. Sorry, the anti-school integration program he was elected on. Technically not pro-segregation, but de facto pro-segregation. <laughs> yeah, that like it's not explicitly pro-segregation and like VC just saying, no, I just don't want force busing, but the outcome is maintaining school the segregation. The outcome is allowing suburban people, the people in, the, in his suburban district to continue sending their kids to all white schools. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That was why he was elected. Yeah. He never did that. He never said that. But he, he occasionally tried. But mostly, he just did dumb shit, like try to stop us from selling back the Panama Canal. That was a kind of a, like, I don't want to say a crank point. cause, because a lot of people were on the right, were upset about it, but it never really got, but like, it, but it also, but they were also vastly outnumbered. Yeah, exactly. Um, Larry McDonald tried to repeal the Gun Control Act of 1968 because he loved guns. Wasn't that passed after the Texas Tower shooting? Twice in this congressional session. What about the, what happened twice in this session? He tried to abolish the FEC, which is the Federal Election Commission for all our non-insane politics nerds listeners. I mean, if you're uh, which does things like regulate campaign finance, because again, remember from part one, I know it was a month ago, but he was uh, basically. Using his, uh, he was using Laetrile to get illegal campaign donations and also using terminally ill cancer patients to purchase guns illegally. Or rather, to transfer ownership of the guns to him illegally. So that's why he was trying to repeal the Gun Control Act and abolish the FEC because he was actively violating them. Yeah, when you're doing just like crimes all day, I feel like, and if you're in a position of power, one of your priorities is to be to get rid of as many federal agencies as possible. So that way there's just no bureaucracy to oversee the th the bad things you do. Yeah, Larry McDonald was basically like if we elected John Cotty to Congress. <laughs> that's a surprising yeah. number of guys on this podcast. I feel. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's like um, what if John? It's like what if John Gotti like really didn't like black people? Basically. Yeah, basically. I don't know what John Gotti's opinion on black people was, uh, but my point still stands. Yeah. Um, he tried to do something to quote terminate federal involvement in education. Which, again, was another anti-integration thing. Uh, he tried to introduce a bill to, quote, limit U.S. contributions to the U.N. Uh, because he was a big anti-U.N. guy. A big thing in, like, John Birch society circles is that the U.N. is secretly a communist organization coming to, like, occupy America. Uh, I'm not sure where they got that, because that was never going to do. Uh, the UN can't even like do anything unless all the members of the Security Council agree to let them use military force. I was gonna say like the UN's done good, but also like having like eight genocides happened under like while the UN has existed. UN has done a lot of really bad things. Um, like when UN soldiers were doing disaster relief in Haiti, they were also like running brothels and sex rings, sometimes including children. Um, the UN has done a lot of bad things. However, one bet the UN has not attempted to establish communism that is not a thing they do also like my the christmas i've, I've had in the un are more of like not stopping the rwandan genocide not you know trying to establish communism in america yeah because one thing they one thing actually happened and the other didn't yeah the thing exactly. you need to understand about these paranoid right-wing cranks is literally everything they believe is made up and yet they are able to attain positions of power anyways 
because those lies are useful to the ruling class, essentially. Like having people who believe those things, even if they're fake, is helpful for achieving the goals of capital. I think that's sort of the best way to put it. Um, to get back on track, Larry McDonald wanted to end monetary loans to foreign countries entirely. He wanted to abolish the minimum wage because, of course, he was a psycho libertarian. Wait, aren't, and, we, aren't, aren't we? Aren't we the world dominant economy? I feel like how are we? How is the economy, world economy, going to function if we don't give out loans ever? Um, it wouldn't. It would collapse the global economy and make the U.S. Not a backwater, but essentially, that's sort of the cruel irony of Larry McDonald, is that he wanted the U.S. to be the global superpower, but all of his policies would have ruined that. Well, I think, it, well, maybe it was part of a larger scheme because once the global economy collapsed, think about it, what led to the demise of the gold standard? Nixon? Well, before that, though, global economic collapse, right? Yeah. That's Wait, hang on. So started... he was trying to collapse the economy to bring back the gold standard? That's my theory. That's genius, actually. Yeah, exactly. Right, never mind. I'm Larry McDonald. All the cranks right want to get off the gold standard, and then the economy collapsed, and then they and then FDR hired took hired people who took who started to take us off it. And this way, Larry McDonald can be one of the cranks who wants to go back on the gold standard. And when the economy collapses, he gets his way. Yes. Time to get really mad about Bretton Woods now. Um. Yeah. I still don't I, understand that Bretton Woods system. It's too weird. Yeah, we don't got to get into it right now. Um, but basically, um, I forgot what I was going to say. I'm sorry. Um, he also sponsored the United Nations Termination Act, which would remove the U.S. from the U.N. and remove the U.N. building from U.S. soil. There were two co-sponsors of this bill. Do you want to guess who they were? One of them is obvious. The other one is a little less obvious. I guess Larry McDonald. Uh, well, Larry McDonald was the main sponsor. Let's see, Jim Trafficant was one of them, I'm going to assume. Who did you say? Jim Trafficant? No. Let's see. Uh, can you give me like a hint? Not an obvious hint, but enough I can narrow it down. Uh, who else was a famous crank in Congress? Let's see. During the early 80s? Um, yeah, in the House. Hmm. Let's see. Jim's Tra James Trafficant, but it's not him. Uh, uh, famous for his newsletters. Okay. I'm going to try to... Famous for his newsletters. I'm trying to think. He ran for president. Uh, what year did he run? I don't remember. 2012, I want to say. Okay. Uh, Ron Paul. Yeah, Ron Paul. And then Ron Paul and Larry McDonald were like boys. Like they co-sponsored each other's psychotic legislation quite a bit. But would you? The I'm other kind of surprised about that. <laughs> Why is that surprising? Because Ron Paul's super anti-deep state. Larry McDonald Ron seems to Paul. love it. Or Ron Paul's super anti-deep state. Larry McDonald seems to love it. Well, Larry McDonald thinks there's Larry McDonald is trying to use the deep. Larry McDonald is like a white hat deep state agent in their cosmology. I like guess, he's yeah, like, we need to run like an independent bureaucracy uh, to root out the evil communist bureaucracy. Uh, your the your hint for the other co-sponsor of this legislation, by the way, is that he served in Congress up until this year when he retired after not seeking re-election. Is he a Democrat or Republican? Republican. Okay. But he was a Democrat at this point. Okay. Uh, what state? Alabama. Oh, Richard Shelby? Yes. Uh, Richard fucking Shelby co-sponsored the United Nations Termination Act in 1981. From what I could tell, Richard Shelby's a pretty right-wing guy, but I don't think he's like particularly weird. Apparently he is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, starting in 1982, Larry McDonald was the national chairman of the John Birch Society, and uh, he had a vanity license plate that's a JBS one on it, and on his black Mercedes Benz. So, they just in case win. you're curious as to the kind of personality Larry McDonald was, he was the kind of guy to drive a black Mercedes Benz with a vanity license plate. I'm just going to point this out. He didn't. The John Birch Society, so far as I can, as from what I can tell, did not win. No. Uh, now we're at his final term in Congress in 1983. Okay. He introduces some more insane bills. He continues trying to establish the Committee on Internal Security, uh, which was his, re which was what the House on American Activities Committee was renamed to for a couple years before it was, um, uh, before it was renamed and then disbanded. 
Uh, he kept trying to investigate the IRS. He introduced a bill, quote, condemning the Southwest African People's Organization terrorist campaign against the black civilian population of northern Namibia. Uh, in case you're not familiar with the context of that, the SWAPO was fighting an independence war against apartheid South Africa. So he was condemning the SWAPO who were fighting, again, an independence war against apartheid South Africa. Because he thought they were attacking black people? Well, he was like, oh, they're attacking black civilians, which, like, I'm sure they did, because that's how independence insurgencies go. But also, like, weird that you're, you're trying to condemn the people who are fighting apartheid as opposed to the people doing apartheid. It's yeah, just, exactly. yeah, it's a weird, it's weird, yeah. I'm sure it's just, a coincidence, don't worry. Yeah, no, just, again, shows how fucking evil Larry McDonald was. Um, he tried to massively escalate the Cold War by introducing a total embargo on goods from the Eastern Bloc, Communist China, Yugoslavia, Albania, Cambodia, North Korea, and the PDR of Yemen, which is a real how many, throwback. How many goods were we buying from Yemen and North Korea? Like, I don't think that don't would have know. done Probably much not a lot. to their economies. But we were trading with the Eastern Bloc and, the, and China and Yugoslavia and all those people. True, but I, but I don't know how much it would cripple their economies. Yeah, I don't know. But a total embargo of the Eastern Bloc would be a massive escalation of the Cold War. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, he, again, tried to terminate federal involvement in education for segregation purposes, just to be clear. He, again, tried to terminate American UN membership and UN hosting, uh, as well as tried to bar women from military academies, increase the speed limit to age six to 65 again, because he was obsessed with that. Why? What the federal does election that serve? And even more repeats. He was kind of just throwing shit at the wall in 1983 just to see what he could get past. And uh, it turns out the answer was nothing. He could get nothing past. <laughs> what is the speed limit thing accomplishing? Because it's not like it's reducing federal oversight because the federal government's still telling you the speed limit, and they're still going to have police officers making sure that you don't go over it. Yeah. Well, he actually tried a new tactic to raise the speed limit. Uh, this time, he just introduced legislation to remove the legislation that submit that sets the speed limit at 55 rather than modify it. So at wow. first, he wanted to just raise the speed limit to 65. Next, he wanted to abolish the federal speed limit. So he wants to do the Autobahn like Germany has, but unlike Germany, he probably didn't want to build any of the infrastructure that would have made the Autobahn even remotely safe. Yes, he basically wanted to do... It, it wouldn't shock me if he actually wanted to do uh, the Autobahn's original name uh, more in that vein. But my point still stands. It was, yes, what yes. if we did the Autobahn, but without any of the smooth roads, so people are just constantly like, you know, just... So people's cars are constantly just going into creeks. Yeah, that's what he wanted. Because he was insane. Was um, gonna, that didn't was, work, like, shockingly. The federal speed limit stayed 55. No uh, way. Yeah. He continued trying to change FDA rules to make quack medicine more easily accessible and legal, and kept trying to remove exposure to cotton dust as a thing the Secretary of Labor could regulate. I have no idea what that's about. Usually, you can tie one of his like obsessions to some sort of crime he was in the process of committing. Like with the cotton dust one, it. I couldn't. I genuinely have no idea where that came from. If he was alive today, he would have definitely loved ivermectin. Oh, he would be. He would be prescribing ivermectin to his patients. Absolutely. Uh, he, he introduced a bill specifically to make Laetrile legal in interstate commerce without FDA approval, co-sponsored by a guy named Bob Stump. <laughs> I just thought it was a funny name, Bob Stump. Bob Stump, that's not real. Look him up, Bob Stump, he was a congressman. Bob Stump, where is he from? I don't know, let me check. He was an American politician who served as a U.S. congressman from Arizona. <laughs> Died in 2003. He was a World War II veteran. I'm sorry, Bob Stump. Robert Lee Stump, actually. <laughs> Do you think anyone called him Stumpty Dumpty? I hope so. What does he look like? I don't have a picture of him up. Uh, he just looks like a generic. He kind of looks like Jeff Sessions. Rose? Yeah, I said he kind of looks like Jeff Sessions. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, he sw Okay, we're not going. This is not the Bob Stump podcast. Stay focused, Rose. Is he a future episode topic? <laughs> Maybe. I don't, I don't know. Not right now. Um, he, Larry McDonald's final act in Congress was to sponsor a repeal of the Davis-Bacon Act, a New Deal-era bill that required the federal government to pay the prevailing wage on public works projects. Uh, oh, because he just... hated when workers got paid a decent amount, and he was constantly fighting that. 
Was he known for underpaying his workers? Uh, probably. I don't know. Um, I'm surprised he and Jim Trafkant weren't even closer. Yeah, I don't know. Well, Jim Trafkant, I don't think, got to Congress until 1984. That's true, yeah. Yeah. Um, he, Larry McDonald was also an outspoken opponent of making Martin Luther King Jr. Day a federal holiday because he really was a racist bastard to the end. <sighs> Didn't Reagan yeah. veto that act? I don't remember. I didn't really look into it. I just know Larry McDonald was really opposed to it. Um, wow. Now, Larry McDonald was invited by Jesse Helms in late 1983 to attend some Korean military thing, just like, you know, celebrating U.S. South Korean involvement. And on September 1st, 1983, Korean Airlines Flight 007 was carrying Larry McDonald on his way to South Korea. And it accidentally entered Soviet airspace and it's radio malfunctioned, thus not letting the crew tell the Soviets that it was a passenger plane. And the Soviets shot it down, killing 269 um, people, including Larry. And that's, that's the end of five or did they all die? They all died. Yes. Oh. All 269 people, including Larry McDonald. Um, this was a really awful tragedy. A uh, really terrible thing to do, shoot down a passenger plane and kill 269 people. Um, you know, like, yes, it's fucked up. The radio malfunctioned. And yes, they were illegal in Soviet airspace. But the Soviets did still shoot down the plane and kill all of those people. <laughs> yeah, no, they had a they had an option not to and they decided yeah, to shoot it down. Exactly. Um, yeah. To answer the obvious question. I don't think the Soviets deliberately killed Larry McDonald, as a lot of right-wing cranks said as soon as it happened. Uh, tensions were high because of previous American spy planes flying over the Kuril Islands. Uh, everyone was on high alert because of a missile test going on at the Kamchatka Peninsula nearby. And the three Soviet fighter planes fired warning shots that weren't seen because they weren't incendiary. And then the plane moved up to save fuel, which the Soviets saw as the plane trying to engage in evasive maneuvers. Uh, the recovered tapes from the plane show the crew didn't even know they were off course and res in restricted Soviet airspace. The, Korean, the one Larry McDonald was on? Yes. What the Soviet Air Force did here was horrific and awful, but it was not, in my opinion, part of a communist conspiracy to kill Larry McDonald. Just a series of yeah. horrific mishaps and paranoia, which is a yeah. fitting way for Larry McDonald's life to end. Yeah, I feel like, I mean... But a I'm tragedy not, that he had to take 268 other people with yeah. him. Let me put it this way. I'm not putting it above the Soviet Union to kill 269 people to get one guy. However, Why would they care? No, what I was going to Exactly. And what I was also going to say was if they really cared enough to kill Larry McDonald, I'm sure they could have found a more efficient way to do it than to kill 269 people. That's pretty much my view. Like um, I'm sure they can. I'm sure they had the resources to like find a Russian guy who spoke English and train him to go to America and like poison Larry McDonald or something. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure they could. Um. Yeah. So this happens. I know this is kind of sudden, listener, but Larry McDonald's life kind of ended pretty suddenly in this plane crash or plane shooting. Um. Yeah. I would be remiss if I didn't, to get a little uh, conspiracy pilled here, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the May Brussels article who killed Larry McDonald, which lays out the theory that I don't think I 100% believe, but I think is worth bringing up, that it was done by the Reagan administration to get rid of the congressman because he had blackmail on the president and his inner circle. Short version of the theory. John Reese was deeply embedded in the Western Goals Foundation. He was a close associate of Jerry Ducote, who was a former sheriff's deputy investigating subversive groups who later worked for Reagan. Both were involved with a group called Research, Re Research West or Western Research, which was like the Western Bulls Foundation in that it carried out spying on law-abiding groups that were seen as subversive and worked closely with the police. Brussels also alleges that Chun Byung Ng, the pilot of KAL-007, the plane Larry McDonald was on, was a colonel in the South Korean Air Force and boasted to friends of carrying out American spy missions, sometimes as part of commercial flights. She also pointed out that McDonald, via Sheila Louise Reese, probably had access to a spies. This part is credible to me. Uh, where the credibility breaks down, in my opinion, is the allegation of a larger conspiracy to take out McDonald and make it look like a Soviet hit. Um, I definitely think McDonald was more connected than we realize. 
Um, do I think the Reagan administration killed him because he had blackmail material on them? I don't think there's enough evidence to say that. Also, my problem with a lot of these conspiracy theories is I'm not saying, oh, like no one would ever like kill 270 people to get one guy. Like that's definitely happened before. But in this case, there had to be a more efficient way to do it, right? Well, yeah, but this way you can make it look like the Soviets did it. Yeah, true, but like it's not like they were trying to get like a war with the Soviet Union. So couldn't they just like do if they really wanted to kill him, they could probably just like you know set, send some guy to like shoot him or like derail his car and be like, oh no, what a horrible accident. Or yeah, do like oh, a JFK like, thing where you get a guy who's like, like went to the Soviet Union and was a communist sort of to kill J the president, I and then be like, oh look, how could the Soviets JFK. do this? I also don't think the Soviet the deep state killed JFK to be honest. If we ever do a JFK episode, I will attempt to change your mind, but we can do that later. Like, I don't see how he was a threat to, like, the CIA, though. He wasn't. He was just, he was a minor obstacle in their way. In their way of what? Huh? As, uh, we don't gotta get into it right now. I will prepare a whole defense of JFK conspiracy theories later. That could be a fun, like, bonus episode. As, like, a devil's advocate kind of thing? Yeah. Because I, I think there is credibility there, um... But I don't have the I don't have all my notes in front of me right now, so I can't like defend it off the top of my head. I'm not that level of pilled. You know my opinion. You know my opinion. Like my art basic argument, like default against is like what purpose would it serve? It's not like Kennedy was like a super anti-interventionist guy. Like he was still like greenlighting increased involvement in Vietnam and shit. Like he greenlighted Bay of Pigs. Like yeah, but no, I think. I think if the CIA did kill him, it was because he didn't provide air support to the Bay of Pigs invasion. When, Because I think Bay of Pigs might have succeeded if they brought in air support, at least in the minds of the CIA guys and Cuban exiles who ran it. Like, to them, Kennedy not providing air support during Bay of Pigs was a betrayal, and therefore, that's why they killed him, as the theory goes. We should probably do an episode on Bay of Pigs. We should do an episode on Bay of Pigs, and like JFK and Operation Northwoods and all that shit. We'll do yeah. that later, though. For now... um. A I, I've got a little bit left to just like wrap us up. Um, I found a video compiling news footage with a title alleging Larry McDonald was murdered as part of a communist conspiracy. Uh, that video was uploaded by to BitChute by a guy who has a picture of Hitler as his profile. So that's who the fan of Larry McDonald now, in case you're wondering. Uh, if you search, and also that's kind of who was a fan of him back then, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Uh, if you search Larry McDonald on YouTube, you'll get lots of videos with titles like Larry McDonald exposes the new world order or Larry McDonald, a true patriot. <sighs> Ultimately, Larry McDonald may have died uh, randomly and his Western Golds Foundation may have collapsed in the wake of the Iran-Contra affair uh, because John K. Singlab took it over and it, it became a whole thing. If we ever cover Iran-Contra, we'll go over it. Um but he served his purpose. For the years he was active, he was effectively able to be the wing of the U.S. government that illegally spies on people who have broken no laws. There is no need for a modern Larry McDonald. Pretty much every technology company gives a backdoor to the government, and surveillance, both in the private sector and the government, is more rampant than ever, enabled by new technologies. Uh, if you want to learn more about that topic, I would recommend Surveillance Capitalism by Shoshana Zubov, uh, one of the scariest books I've ever read. All right, should we end it here? Yeah, that's that's all I got. Larry McDonald, the freelance deep state agent, essentially. I'm surprised he didn't pull any Jim Trafficant things of like I took bribes to stop other people from taking bribes. No, he he believed what he was doing was to stop the communist conspiracy theory. So or to stop the communist conspiracy to take over America. So therefore anything he did was justified. All right, should we end it on that note? Yeah, um, on the grim note of uh, they're watching you, listener, uh, I've been Rose. And I'm Gabe. Our email is runningonapostpod at gmail.com. Uh, send us fan mail, episode suggestions, anything you want. Uh, uh, our Twitter is at opposedpod. Follow us there for updates, like if an episode is delayed or if we're not going to upload for a month or something like that, we'll tell you there. Um, what else? Our theme song is courtesy of Oxblood Oxblood. And yeah, that's it. Listener, stay woke out there. All right. Bye. All right. Stay noited, listener. Yep. <laughs>